Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I am your host. My name is Steve. And this week, joining me as a co-host is one of our somewhat frequent callers. It's been a while since he's been able to call in, but he's a good friend of mine. I know him personally, and he's a huge wrestling fan. His name is Randy. Say hello, Randy. Hello, everybody. And welcome, sir. Thank you for stepping in. Um, because I was not, I apologize for not having the live broadcast this past Monday. Unfortunately, my wife, who had surgery last week, she was feeling a little ill. So, one of the things about our podcast is family comes first, and we will always stick by that. And so, we had to cancel the episode. And our normal co host, Kyle, cannot do Thursdays. And Dwaylen has actually become our normal Thursday co host. But today, Dwaylen's wife is sick. So we I asked Randy if he could step in, because Randy and I had actually talked about doing a show already. And so I said, you know what? This is a perfect time. And I know Randy will be absolutely great. And despite his own nervousness, but I think he will be absolutely great because he is very, very knowledgeable about wrestling because he and I, we talk about wrestling at, for at least an hour every Sunday. Wouldn't you say, Randy? At least approaching for sure <laughs> it's an every sunday thing it's like there's the end of your practice and then that void just being filled with wrestling all the way up until it's time for you to get back up on there and, and play music yes <laughs> and and randy is the person who introduced me to the northern wrestling federation and from there i've actually met the owner roger ruffin plus a couple of the other wrestlers and i've had a couple of the wrestlers on here as as subjects have been used to include mean selena dean and noah gabriel and so randy if that wasn't for you you're indirectly responsible for them you know so once again i thank you for that uh, it's always my pleasure to to be able to share some of what i think is the best independent wrestling that is available uh with a family-friendly format like that uh you know, I know there's a lot of different styles and theirs isn't for everyone, but it's kept me entertained for over 20 years. And they are ramping their shows back up. Uh, I actually missed the last two they did. They were last uh, Saturday night and the Saturday night before that. The one they had in, in Fairfield at the brewery, which... They thankfully they found a new place because of the the situation with the the union hall. Uh, they're no longer able to perform there, but they were able to find a, a place, uh, which I'm very glad. Yeah, not for. far from the the uh, prior facility either. It's it's right. less than half a mile away, so it wouldn't be hard for the fans to find that were used to coming to that union hall. And from what I saw with the pictures, all they have to do is look outside. Apparently, it was an outdoor event. Yes, sir. It sure was. And the Saturday before that, they had their monthly showdown in Covington, which I had been going to those, but I was not able to go to that one. But the day before, I did go to their show they had. It was also an outdoor event. It was actually at Jake Sweeney uh, Automotive because he has it, like every model car, you know, like Ford, Chevy, Nissan. He has them all up there. Yeah, but they had the outdoor event there, and I was able to go to that one and great show they do have a upcoming show in in ludlow the ludlow, this ludlow theater i have been able to make one of their shows at that venue that is a very fan-friendly venue 
and and just an overall interesting place to see a show but it's well suited for it i'd highly recommend it yep that that is tomorrow night actually and yes indeed yeah so with um with this the past couple of weeks being kind of hectic for me with having to make sure that my wife is okay i haven't been able to really schedule anything really solid as far as podcasts so once again randy thank you for stepping in at the last minute like this because it, it actually means a lot and i know we've we've actually talked about at least doing an episode before so you can kind of get your feet wet as well so it, it'd be nice to to see if i can hold up my end of things and uh and be able to present to the folks something that are that is entertaining and this week and i presented this to randy and he agreed with the subject because i said you know randy you and i are two big guys and I'm not going to say our height and weight, but probably we, we should actually, we should probably both be losing weight because we're not wrestlers, <laughs> but I figure, you know, we're, we're two big guys. We feel pretty comfortable being big guys. So let's look at big guys in wrestling, super heavyweights and the giants. Certainly. And, and you know, it's something that I don't think it's talked about as its own thing quite enough. You know, we, we just kind of lump them in with heavyweights and just other overall big dudes. And, and they kind of get lost in the shuffle and there's a specialty to their craft. And right. uh, I'm excited to delve into that. Right. Because you have some, I mean, I'll, I'll give an example like Andre. Andre the giant was thought of as being a giant. He wasn't necessarily thought of as being a super heavyweight, but Correct. But Andre, I mean, if you think about it, his weight, I mean, would classify him as a super heavyweight. But then you have some of the other ones, like a King Kong Bundy, who is a super heavyweight, obviously, big dude. But nobody's really classifying him as a giant, necessarily. Because yeah, he was fairly mobile for a man that his size. I mean, from what I, from what I have written down on King Kong Bundy, the last build weight for that gentleman was 446 pounds. Uh, at six foot four right but he certainly moved like somebody who laid or weighed much less than 446 pounds right and you know so like i said there was always kind of a weird gray area because some people could kind of fit in both and you have some people you know some guys who were just tall but they were kind of thin and so they would kind of be considered giants but there's other ones that who do get kind of lost in the shuffle but before we actually begin the conversation, I do need to go ahead and give our contact and listen info. If anyone would like to email the podcast with suggestions, with feedback, you just want to say hi, the email is armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. Our Facebook is facebook.com, so it's armchairbookingpodcast. We're on Instagram, just look, search for armchairbooking. We're on Twitter, at bookingarmchair. We have a YouTube channel. We're on iHeartRadio, we're on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and this week, I don't know if I actually set it up or if it was something that came automatically, but we're on also on Google Play. We're on, we're on all those platforms, Randy. So if I can find any more platforms to get the podcast on, I will. You know, but the, yeah, the Google Play, because I'll just look to see, okay, how can I, I, I don't know how it slipped in my mind that there was another platform to load, load this up on but i just did a search on google how to get it loaded up and it said oh, i'll just do a search and there it was already so i was like huh that's on they already had stats for me 
So, oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm so, guessing. So can, at this point, it's if you can't find us, you're not looking. You're not. <laughs> exactly. And and as always, Block Talk Radio, they are the ones who actually host. They're the ones I pay. So I do definitely have to mention them because yeah, they're gracious enough. And I do believe I've gotten everything. Can you think of anything I may have missed, Randy? Goodness, I hope not. That certainly was a mouthful of different places <laughs> to find the Armchair Booking Podcast. Yes, sir. And right about now, I know you caught the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, and you've caught the Raw immediately afterwards. What do you yes. think about those, since now we have live crowds back, which I am so happy. It makes the show so much better. Certainly. You know, I think... Uh, you can even see it in the energy of the performers. I mean, as soon as they would come out, even even heels had that glimmer in their eye. And and you could tell that they were extra pumped to have something to feed off of. And the fans seemed so eager to give it to them. And it was just such a beautiful thing for not to sound sappy or to oversay it, but to me, it was such a beautiful thing to see because there was this unspoken reciprocation of how exciting it was to, to mutually share that moment together. And uh, I'd be remiss to not mention the SmackDown the Friday before. That was the first one. They said it was the first show they've had in a live crowd in 70 weeks. That is hard to fathom. Yeah. And a couple of things that I thought were very fitting. One, it being in Houston. Uh, the reason why is because September 13th, 2001, SmackDown was in Houston, two days after 9-11. And which WWE, it was still WWF at the time, but they had the first public, I guess, uh, performance that they said, uh, that's, that's what we was being called, like a public performance public show of any kind of that magnitude since the 9-11 attacks i mean granted it was only two days later but visit man the yeah, speech but oh, it was oof. only two days later but it was only two days later and the speech i'm pretty sure you've seen um or you at least you saw saw it then when it was live the speech that vince mcmahon gave before that show was pretty awe-inspiring to tell you the truth um, and so to me, it was only fitting that this show be in Houston, you know, and I know that may have just been a coincidence or I know also because they're, they were going to be in either Texas or Florida because they're the States that are really allowing things like that right now already. Right. And, and then Vince McMahon coming out, he didn't really give a speech at the beginning of SmackDown, but he did come out very first thing. And he said, where have y'all been? <laughs> and, and, right. then, and everybody cheered and he's like, all right. And then he walked back and, you know, for Vince McMahon to be as a hit, the Mr. McMahon character to be as heelish of a character as what that is, but he knows when to turn it off and just be Vince. Right. It was a way of like acknowledging all of that unpleasantness that was behind us, but in the shortest possible way. And, and, in a way that keeps with his character a bit. Yes. And uh, the the crowd for that show was absolutely great. And then for Money in the Bank, I thought the uh, I thought the card itself 
was really good. A lot of surprises, uh, especially at the end, even though there was rumors Cena was coming back. Until you see it, you can't believe it. And oddly enough, I hadn't seen anything indicating that uh, prior to the event. I don't know if I had missed something that everybody else knew. So it was one of those things that finally caught me as a legitimate surprise. And I popped right there on my couch. I, oh. I swear to you, I did. And I thought the roof was going to come off of that place. I actually had, um, I had already, I, I had to turn it off because the Peacock Network had been messing up. And yeah. Dwaylon and I were texting each other. And he's like, hey, is it messing up for you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm guessing it is for you too. And he's like, yeah. And he kept waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. But because the next day was my first day back at work. And so, I mean, I and because I was covering for somebody else, I knew I was going to have to get in early. I even told him, I was like, ah, I'm going to have to cut it off already. I can't, you know, wait. And he's like, yeah, I definitely get that. Then I come to find out later on if I would have just stopped the app and then restarted it it actually would have been fine yeah i i was uh goodness lots of words there i was disappointed to find out that had i waited about 15 minutes i would have been okay because i actually stayed with it a lot longer than i wanted to <laughs> did a few reboots just to make sure it wasn't on my end tested multiple devices and i'm like well that's it i'm just gonna have to catch it on the replay All right and then when i noticed that WWE did acknowledged it and mm -hmm. sent out the tweet. I was like, "Oh my gosh, that was 15 minutes after I turned it off. Like I, I could have caught everything." Yep. So I missed Big E uh, winning the men's Money in the Bank, and then I missed the whole match with Roman and Edge and that whole debacle and Seth Rollins and then John Cena coming out. But I did see everybody was talking about it. So I already knew the results, but a lot of times I don't mind spoilers necessarily. Uh, it just, it just all depends, you know, and that one. Um, At least you get to see how it played out instead right. of just read. And, and sometimes so much of the story is is the visual of the whole thing, the spectacle, and not just kind of the afterglow. And I got to give a shout out to Dwaylon also because he and I did the prediction show last week. He got all of them right, but one. The one he got wrong was the women's money in the bank. And you got to think he, there's only a twelve and a half percent chance of getting that one right. Yeah, and and really. Who expected Nikki A.S.H.? Right. And who would have expected her to cash in 24 hours later and win the Raw Women's title? I find that really entertaining. I know that sometimes it's nice when a, a heel has the case and they go on a nine-month spree of almost cashing it in or or, you know, Miz is hilarious with the case. Um, <laughs> but I think it's nice to have that that real quick cash in every once in a while, just because nobody's expecting that, because they're expecting them to take that case and make money with it. Right. And I was, I think that may have been part of the reason why they put the belt on Charlotte because the fans are starting to really get behind um, 
Rhea Ripley. And Vince doesn't like uh, face versus face matches. And right. And a cash in, a cash in, if you're doing a face cashing in on a face, that means that the person cashing in are turning. And uh, the, the Nikki Ash, the superhero character, is not going to turn heel. And putting the belt on Charlotte, who the fans are not going to get behind, even though she was getting some, yeah. che- she was getting some cheers Sunday night. I have to say that a surprising amount. It, it was more than I expected. Right. Even but, at, when she but, flipped them off, they were still cheering her. Yeah, but you know that. But to the end of uh, uh, face cashing in. You know, when they cash in on that heel, they can get away with a little bit of heelish activity so long mm-hmm. as they're cashing in on the heel. Right. <laughs> yeah. And she, but she and didn't cash actually... in without being a heel, really. Uh, that's true. Anybody who's smart, anyway. Yeah. I mean, if you're going with common sense of your common man, it's going to say take advantage of an opportunity where the champ is down. Doesn't matter whether you're a heel or a face. And so I like that it allows that, that little wiggle room for your favorite person, you know, that, that fan favorite to do something a little bit devious or cash in in a way that is usually beneath them. And, and I like that. Right. And, but she actually really didn't even do that. She cashed in immediately climbed to the top rope and did the flying body press or cross body or whatever you want to call it and pender um one two three so she actually did a move which a lot of them don't do that and she could have went in there and, and smacked her around with the briefcase first and you know knocked her out and then pender or then cashed That's in true. and pender so it was clean I, if you look at it from that perspective it was more clean because at least she got in an offensive maneuver Yes, and I know this sounds weird because you you and I actually spoke about this one day. The way she did the maneuver, though, uh, I thought she turned the wrong way. Um, yeah. Did you? I don't know if you noticed that or not. Um, I did not get to see that part of Raw. Um, oh, okay. Because it was it was late in the show, and, and I have such a early wake-up call for for my employer that's true uh, i'm usually only in until about 10 on that as lame as that may sound well when you wake uh, up so, at like three o'clock in the morning sometimes earlier than that so um if yeah you, it's if, if at least you watch, it's only three days of that oh that's good uh, if, and if you watch the replay of that you'll see when she jumped off instead of turning to the left she actually turned to the right so um yeah, it's just one of the things, you know, I, I even mentioned to you, I've noticed that since I was like 12, like which way yeah. they turn, doing those moves, doing the drop kicks. Um, you can tell if somebody's right-handed or left-handed. But yeah, but yeah so the, the Money in the Bank, I thought was a pretty decent show. The Raw, I thought was pretty decent. Cena came back out. And then Goldberg made an appearance on Raw. I honestly don't know what to think about that. You know, I'm generally excited to see him come back. What I'm generally not excited about 
is to see him come back and immediately go for a title. Uh, right. As great of condition as the man is in, and he's usually looking pretty, pretty well. Uh, I mean, he, he had like one flabby show, I think, or at least what is for him flabby. Uh, who am I to speak? But, uh, <laughs> but that, that's why we're doing the show. <laughs> exactly uh but but you know i mean he usually looks well enough that that you would expect him to make a good showing of himself but at the same time you know he's greater than 50 years old and my am i really expecting him to come in and and take on these guys that are in their prime and and take them on right away uh you know it it hurts that a little bit for me mm-hmm. um at the same time i'm not the one that's trying to make money right and uh obviously the powers that be believe that is what they need to do to make money they went to the well with him in the past and made money with him uh and i i can't fault them for going back to a formula that apparently is working or otherwise they would they would stop paying the exorbitant fee that they have to do to get that man back. Yes. And his last two matches were for the Braun Strowman and the Undertaker. I don't remember which order because I know he stunk up the joint in Saudi with the Undertaker. But yeah, that... I believe the Strowman match was second of that. Uh, okay. And kind of to uh, acquit himself of that just terrible appearance in Saudi Arabia uh much like the undertaker had to come back and do something uh, right that, that showed that he did not stink as bad as that match did uh so i think they both had that comeback match and i believe braun was that for goldberg now to kind of segue into the subject of the show with Goldberg, would you consider Goldberg to be a super heavyweight or a giant as far as what we're talking about? Because his two opponents, I'd say, definitely were. They're both giants anyway. Super heavyweight? Probably not. Uh, A mountain of a man, you know, certainly a mountain of muscle, Yes, if if nothing else. Uh, But you know, by by virtue of some of the sheer feats of strength he could do, it's it's hard to look past him as a big guy. Right. And and that's why when I actually looked at a list earlier today and it, it was saying the fifty biggest behemoths in the WWE or just in wrestling, and they were mentioning people like Goldberg and Scott Steiner and and even Brock Lesnar. I'm like, and don't get me wrong, I mean, there's some big jacked up dudes but I don't yeah. know if I would really classify them as a super heavyweights or giants. I mean, they're just big muscular dudes. I mean, who have kind of their own class. Right. I mean, Brock freak of nature for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Um, you know, I don't know what his dirty test was for, but it wasn't for steroids. He's never t- tested positive for that. Uh, you know, the guy's just been a ginormous guy all the way down to high school. Right. And, and, big, and so he's just genetically gifted in that regard and oh, then big, driven to build himself that size. Oh, he's just a big corn fed dude. I mean, he grew up on a dairy farm. 
you know, so you don't not have muscles working on a dairy farm, you know, especially not uh, from what I hear in the size of the farm that he had in South Dakota where he grew up. And now apparently he, um, now he's living up in Canada, like on a 600 acre ranch, you know, slash right. farm with his house plopped right in the middle of it. But more power to him. I mean, he, um, no, not, absolutely nothing wrong with farming. And when we go to our church, we yeah. have, you know, we have some pretty prominent farmers in our church. Cool. You know, I know a lot of families fed out here uh, by the sweat of their brow farming. Yep. I mean, there's one in particular who they have a dairy farm just right down the road from the church. So, yes, yeah, I'm pretty sure you know who I'm talking about. Sure do. Yep. And I mean, they, um, and like you said, I mean, they feed a lot of people, you know, so, um, I mean, I, my family was my, on my dad's side, uh, was my dad grew up on a farm. So, I mean, I have a lot of respect for him. So, but I like, but I still don't know if I would include Brock Lesnar as part of this now, Braun Strowman. Yes, for sure. That is just an absolute behemoth of a man. And I don't know if you've seen any of his, any of his social media recently. I haven't, uh, you know, he's changed up his look a little bit, uh, shaved off the bulk of his beard, something that's much more manageable, which gives him almost a completely different appearance and uh, mm. and has kind of rededicated himself to hitting the, the gym with some ferocity. Yeah, because and he was he was a power lifter before, wasn't he? I honestly don't know, and I don't want him to speak on that. Um but I know the, gosh, the recent pictures that I've seen of him, uh, I believe I have him on Instagram, is just absolutely mind-blowing how different he looks. He's he's looking hungry. And I know now he's a, technically a free agent. But with him, I would say Braun Strowman is, he's definitely a big man. And I'd say he's more of a giant, but he was doing some moves that you typically don't see someone his size doing like his drop kicks for sure. And, and his drop, I mean, they look, I've never seen a drop kick look painful, but his look like if he hit you with it, it would hurt you a lot. Got a little snap to it. Yeah. And I know like some of the promoters, they don't like big men doing moves like that. And they don't like them seeing them doing, especially to a lot smaller guys. They say, that's what the smaller guys are doing. Right. You know, you're taking that away from them. If you're doing their moves, I mean, you need to, you know, don't get me wrong. You still wrestle, but you know, but you need to be doing moves that they, they can't do. My personal belief on that is there are moments for, for moves like that, for gentlemen like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that they come a lot less often than a lot of them think. Uh, I think they need to play to their size a bit and, uh, and frankly respect that, uh, you know, even if they're 300 pounds of muscle, they're still 300 pounds on a normal person's frame. And they're going to, you know, that they may be able to accomplish those things, but the wear and tear that they're going to have is, I, in my opinion, going to be amplified by the fact that no matter what the reason is for them being that heavy, there's still a person that heavy doing that kind of move. 
do you remember it was one of the first couple of NWF shows we went to up in Fairfield and I was talking about uh, uh, Jerry Blackwell, Crusher Blackwell, because one of the guys who was wrestling up in Fairfield and I remember we talked to him afterwards because I think you said he actually lived and or worked in Mount Orb at like his normal nine to five job or he used, at least he used to. Um, but I said, he reminded me of Jerry Blackwell, the way he was moving around. And I, and I think you didn't really, you didn't know who Jerry Blackwell was at the time. And I showed you some pictures and yeah, I did not know who that was for sure. But one of the pictures I showed was Jerry Blackwell, all 400 pounds of him throwing a drop kick like he was 200 pounds and uh, yeah <laughs> it was just it's like how can a guy that's as and the funny thing about it was jerry blackwell is not that tall of a guy so it's not like right. he has real long legs but he was just jumping up and drop kicking these dudes like in their chest and coming down and, and making it look smooth yeah and i believe uh what i mentioned at that time was actually uh, the first person that came to my mind when you mentioned a guy that size with doing drop kicks of that nature and i thought immediately of, of bam bam bigelow exactly a I, guy that's doing moonsaults that weren't just sloppy i can just barely make the rotation moonsaults but these believable almost well unbelievable because it's larger than life but i mean just doing these amazing things or doing a drop kick that is convincing yeah uh, and and he's cruising around there at 390 pounds doing that and one of his one of his finishing moves was that flying headbutt which you know thankfully you don't see a lot of wrestlers doing that anymore anyway but bam bam the first time i remember seeing bam bam actually it wasn't even seeing like a video of him it was actually seeing him in the magazines like what you know the after magazines and i know that might be a little bit after like your time when you first started watching when when what year did you first start watching wrestling uh, I mean, it was sporadic, but I think with regularity, you're probably talking right around 1997. There are some periods that I've had, you know, between like 92 and 95, I was watching it a little bit. But but frankly, once uh, their primary shows became a cable item, uh, right, it just wasn't available in my household. And, and then when they introduced SmackDown, then there was wrestling on broadcast television again. And uh, by that point, you know, I was hitting junior high and was kind of getting to enjoy some of the nuance a little more. And it captivated me from that point forth. Well, Bam Bam, he was in the, mag the after magazines, the main one, which is still around actually is Purvis and Illustrated. And some of the other ones like its sister magazines were named the wrestler inside wrestling sports review wrestling wrestling superstars wrestling 91 92 whatever the year was at the time that some of them were, were quarterly not monthly like that one was a quarterly magazine but they, they were named the after magazines because of the main editor which was named guy named bill after and he was and he still has a um, lot of influence still well respected in the wrestling world once kayfabe kind of died and all the territories started getting bought up because that's how you learned about all these other wrestlers were 
through those magazines, the magazines kind of, they shrunk down to basically that one. You get like but, PWI now. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah, pro, it. yeah, Person Illustrated. That's the only one. Yeah, PWI. And of course, I got to buy the obligatory 500 issue. Oh, yeah. I, I, I actually, um, I bought the women's 200 issue because I know there's actually it, women's wrestling has definitely come a long way, but I, it'd be hard pressed to come up with 500 um, without really, really scraping there towards the bottom because there's just still not a lot of women wrestlers, not as much as what I think there should be. But in those magazines, when they were covering the territories, I remember they talking about this man named Bam Bam Bigelow and he was this big 350, 400 pound guy who was doing flying moves. He was doing drop kicks and he had a tattoo of a fireball on his head. And he just looked like a big, ugly, mean man. Yeah. And then they say, yeah, his background is a bounty hunter. You're like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Then you find out his background really was of a bounty hunter. <laughs> it's like, okay, so Bam Bam's also legit. And I believe he started in Memphis working for um, Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler and those guys. But that was all, I always saw that in the magazines. But then I was, I was living in North Carolina at the time. Um, one of the channels that I got local channels would actually show world-class wrestling out of Texas, out of Dallas. And I was either at someone's house or one of the few times that channel came in. I mean, um, and all of a sudden they had this guy on there named Crusher Yurkoff. And I'm looking going, that looks like that Bam Bam guy out of the, uh, out of the magazines. And same thing, big dude doing all these drop kicks. And it turns out, yeah, he had actually gone to Texas and changed his name to Crusher Yurkoff because that was a thing, you know, uh, every territory had to have a Russian or at least a Russian sympathizer because this was still during the cold war. It was waning, waning. It was the end of the getting close to the end of the cold war, but we didn't know that but it was during the cold war. So they always had to have that. And I was like, man, that dude, because then, because I'd seen pictures of the drop kick. I had not actually seen the video of the drop kick and it was amazing. And it, he wasn't there long before he went to the WWF and they had the bidding war. And, you know, they, like every week, you know, they had like the five managers who were there at the time and they were eliminated on one by one. It looked like Slick was going to be his manager, but then he came out and told Slick, you are not my manager. And then he brought in Sir Oliver Humperdinck, you know, but yeah, so. It's uh, hard to keep a, a straight bearing with a name like that. Yep. Uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, and he was probably high when he came up with the name because apparently uh, the man behind Sir Oliver Humperdinck, he, he liked his weed a lot. But, you know, hey, you know, um, family-friendly show, but you know what? If that's what he does, it's what he does. But Bam Bam was getting a huge push, but apparently Andre didn't like him for whatever reason. And so at the Survivor Series... This is after Andre obviously had turned heel. Um, I, I think this was after WrestleMania three um, in that same year, so nineteen eighty seven. 
and they had Hulk's team against Andre's team, and Andre, him and Bam Bam were the last two, and he was just throwing Bam Bam around like a little ragdoll. And so it actually buried Bam Bam, unfortunately. But, I mean, he did manage to make comebacks later on because the man headlined WrestleMania 11. Right, but my understanding is that was, I mean, not that WrestleMania is a bad thing, but that's that was kind of like a one and done, the pinnacle of where he would be as far as the WWF was concerned. Oh, I'd say that was probably the peak of his career. I mean, you headline a WrestleMania, you know, if it's only one that you headline, guess what? That's going to be the peak of your career. But I'd say that's a pretty big peak. Right. I mean, people spend a lifetime trying to get there and never reach it. I'm certainly not trying to poo-poo on it. Right. Um, I just, maybe I think more of the guy's talent. Uh, of course, I've got to see some of his later matches in WCW and ECW mm-hmm. where he did some some pretty good things. Oh, um, I, think, I think he was perfect for ECW. Yeah, I think he really fit in there. Yeah. And uh and, and thrive there. Uh I just don't think the money was there. Oh no, because uh, they they're checking for a guy of his caliber. Yeah. yeah. I mean you, you can't keep a guy who has that kind of talent and not pay him. And not only that, but right about that time he was also he had a cameo in a movie. Major pain. I had forgotten about that. Yep, where he sold for Damon Wayans. <laughs> so he, he took that bump and boom, he sold for Damon Wayans. So it was good. But but you got to think, WrestleMania 10, it was Bam Bam and Luna Vachon against Doink and Dink in a mixed tag team match. And then a year later, he's headlining, you know, he's in the, the main event. So, you know, even though if it was like you said, a one a one off against Lawrence Taylor and all that, but I mean, he's still got a lot of exposure. Yeah. And you're mainstream not, exposure too, with with it being Lawrence Taylor. Yes, and you're not going to have anybody as your headlining match, especially with that kind of public exposure. You're not going to put just anybody in there. So they knew Bam Bam could handle it. So, um, but. Just two years, well, actually the year prior and two years prior, another big man who I don't think could throw a drop kick, but he was also very, very mobile for a guy his size was Yokozuna. It, you know, at least from a speed standpoint, it's seems like the, the trademark of, of people, at least in his family, yeah. these explosive, large Samoan men. Uh, and and despite his large size, he certainly was not an exception to that and could move, especially earlier in his career in the WWF, uh, before his weight went way, way out of control. Uh, it was just impressive how much speed and agility a guy his size could have. And it was mind-blowing to me even as a child way back in like say 1991, 92, there was a time when, when, for example, when he took Hogan out of commission Mm -hmm. for a while, he, he, like, I believe that wholeheartedly back then. So I'm thinking, gosh, a guy that large moving that fast, you know, coming down on your chest, Mm -hmm. that should take somebody out. 
you know, he could make things believable because he wasn't so slow like some large men are. It's it's for the the he's the polar opposite of the reason why I have a hard time believing the great Kali. Oh, because Kali was big. <laughs> he had a lot of muscle, but when when he walks like he needs a new hip, uh, which I think he did. He had trouble walking. <laughs> right. He. <sighs> You know, he, he moved in such an awkward fashion that it was hard to believe him as a monster. And and so, you know, Yokozuna didn't have that problem. You know, he here's this very large man doing very athletic things. Yes. And to me, it wasn't even just the bonsai drop, which, you know, you saw him climbing up on the second rope, but it was, I think, one of his moves that doesn't get enough play is is almost like um like a super kick type move yeah you know it was that back that back kick crest whatever kind of kick you know you want to call it the fact that a man his size with his legs were bigger around than me you know that was just his thighs and the way he was just able to to the guy here comes again well he's he got him with that that thrust kick and got him right in the chest and you're like how is he able to lift his leg up that high as big as what he is for sure for sure, you would think that the size would just keep it from physically being able to move that far. And I actually recently watched the documentary about Yokozuna. Have you seen that one at all on Peacock? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and they, they talk about Rodney Anawai, the man, not just, you know, Yokozuna. Yeah. Um, man had three kids, three or, yeah, three kids or maybe four. And I can't recall how many kids, but certainly certainly a, a lot more than he i feel like you should have maybe tried a little harder that's easy for me to say i should try a little harder uh <laughs> well but, but you was... you have a multinational organization saying hey let us help you this is unmanageable it's unsustainable let us help and he wouldn't take it he was actually one of the things he was trying the opposite. He wanted to break the record for being the heaviest wrestler. But unfortunately, the heavier he got, he couldn't pass the physical. He couldn't get cleared to wrestle. And so he was, right. it, it was kind of defeating his own purpose there. And, you know, when you hear his family talk about him, and I mean, of course, I man, they still choke up, not just because of his family, but anytime you saw him in interviews, he just seemed like this just lovable guy, you know? Yeah. And when, and of course, I mean, I was, I, mean, I was like 20 years old believing he was, you know, Japanese. And then I figured out later on, I was like, wait a minute, he's not Japanese, he's Samoan. And part of that was the first time I saw him actually speak in an interview and it was well after the world title run and all that. And all of a sudden he spoke and he's speaking perfect English with <laughs> accent. And I'm like, yeah, he's not Japanese. <laughs> and and then right. Yeah. And then seeing him in the other interviews and they actually, it was like at a press conference and they asked him, what do you eat for breakfast? And he said, well, let's just say more than you. <laughs> and I mean, it was just the way he said it. The dude was hilarious. Um, but his weight, when they talked about when they sent him to Duke, 
you know, down in Durham, North Carolina, to the, the Duke Medical Center, which is one of the most renowned medical centers, at least in the United States, probably in the world, to for them to help him lose weight. And he was having somebody sneak him in food. Yeah. And he came out heavier. Yeah. You know, the, the last list, last listed build weight that I found on him actually was an insane 636 pounds. Yeah. That's the last recorded, you know, like build weight. And that's not to say like his biggest weight like personally it was probably closer to 700 probably maybe a little over 700 and you know that's a shame as somebody as good as what he was i mean he was in the world title he was in the main event two years in a row you know at wrestlemania so um but the thing about him coming out of the weight loss clinic heavier he's actually not the first wrestler to do that and he's not even the first one to do it in north carolina have you ever heard of the mcguire twins I have not. They are in the Guinness Book of World Records as the heaviest twins ever. And they became wrestlers. And I am going to find a picture of them and I'm going to text it to you. And they were actually from North Carolina. Um, That's, you know, the reason I'm saying that, but they both actually went into um a hospital to lose weight and they both came out bigger holy cow you found a picture didn't you several yeah uh, you can see the only picture. a few of which got them both in the frame yeah <laughs> they may have had two cameras <laughs> or the panorama yeah you can see how big these guys were those were very large men yeah, and they were wrestlers. I mean, they and they were attractions, and um, but same thing, you know. Now they do, you don't hear them being talked about a lot anymore. Yeah, combined weight over fourteen hundred pounds, so a- average over seven hundred pounds a piece. Good God Almighty! Yeah. And so those guys, I would say those are super heavyweights there. I wouldn't want to be in the ring with them because somebody that big, you don't know if they could be you careful with you. They, you don't know if they could actually take care of you. Hopefully they would because Yokozuna, you never heard about him hurting anybody. Unlike, that's that's go ahead. true. I, my apologies. Uh, my, my thing was another guy that was actually very, very talented like that. And I, I put in the category, maybe not quite as large as Yokozuna. But Earthquake was yeah. a guy that was very large and very mobile. But also, like uh, you were speaking of Yoko, you never really heard of him being dangerous. Right. You just, if you, you heard anything, you heard of the guy that played Earthquake, the lovable John Tenta. John Tenta, yeah. And yet the late John Tenta, who, uh, who lost to bladder cancer in 2004. And... With Yoko, if you, I, I noticed this even back then, when he dropped that leg, he dropped it like on their head. But if you look, the crook of his knee was actually what came down. So there was not as much contact as what has appeared. And then when he did his bonsai drop, I mean, he didn't flatten, boom, on him. He came down and then kind of barely touched. Now, I'm pretty sure when he sat on him to pin him, 
you know, having 400 pounds on your chest isn't going to feel too good, you know, but, sure. yeah, but I mean, it wasn't, it was like, okay, pin them, pin them, pin them. Okay. Get up. And whereas um, like John Tenta, you know, he, when he did that, his, oh, what was his move called that the earthquake splash? Yeah. Yeah. Cause he would like kind of jump around several times and, and do almost what reminded me as far as the way he'd hit the ropes. It was almost like the people's elbow, but then he jumped <laughs> into a splash. When, so, I, that's right. When he hit the ropes, I was like, Bring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yep, he'd always do those few big stomps and then, and then those boom. ropes would go back so far. And of course, they were, <laughs> they were much looser back then than they are now. So, yeah. So, I mean, they really go back with a guy like him. And when he did that, that his earthquake splash, when he, when he's coming to jump on and sitting on the guy's chest, but if you look, he really, he barely even can that. So he took care of the people in the ring. And the funny thing about mentioning John Tenta and Yokozuna together, I want to say, was it the 93 Royal Rumble that Yoko, he belly to belly Tenta right out of the ring. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was either that one or it was like 95, but it was one of those that, yeah, he, he got him and just, yeah. And I think it may have been 93 though, because that was the one Yoko won. And that was the first one, the first Royal Rumble. They said that the winner goes to go on to a world title match at WrestleMania. Uh, and so they were really, really showcasing him like he's this unstoppable monster. Like when he, pressed randy savage you know in other words he kind of pushed randy up and randy jumped over the top rope um if you watch it again that's kind of you know but it made it look like yoko pressed him right over the because randy forgot and he dropped the elbow on him and tried to pin him in a royal rumble yeah and not the first time randy messed up in a rumble because the year before he jumped over the top rope going after jake the snake he forgot and he eliminated himself but they let him come back in they're like oh because no, nobody threw him over anyway that's a story for another day, <laughs> but, but with John Tenta, when he got together with Fred Ottman, also known as Typhoon or uh, Tugboat or Shockmaster, if you want to go down that road, Ooh. he was, he was the I'd Shockmaster. The Shockmaster. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter who doesn't even want to watch wrestling, she knows about the Shockmaster and she's seen the video and she thinks it is one of the funniest things ever. And it, it is one of the most colossal failures, and you can't not laugh at it. Yep. And, uh, you know, but Tugboat, you know, Fred Ottman, you know, Typhoon, he's another big dude who could just move. And they were a formidable tag team. Yeah. Yeah, they were. And because they look, like there's these big unstoppable monsters you can't move them around yeah. because of how big they were except for the legion of doom the road warriors they were the only ones who could really do anything with them you know who could and make it look believable um as far as like beating them um for sure. but and but actually you know two people we mentioned earlier i forgot about this crusher blackwell and king Kong bundy they were a tag team for a bit in the awa where they also went against the road warriors that was actually you know, and something else, it was like the Road Warriors, they always, they put two big guys together to tag against the Warriors to kind of give both of them 
you know, well, good matches, you know, big, just big, big against, you know, strong, strong. It's one of those matches where it, it doesn't really matter who wins. They, both teams come out looking great. If they do it right. If they do it right. And, and the fans win. Uh, Right. Because both, you put the Road Warriors against anybody, I guess, but I won't get on a tangent on them. But uh, but like you put them up against big guys, they they could give you a match that would be believable against guys that size. Yeah. And you know if they lose to guys that size, well, they lost against giants. And and if the giants lose against people like the Road Warriors, well, it's the Road Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. They they obviously. Well, obviously they're going to win. So, but you know, like Ottman and Bundy and Blackwell and and Yoko and Ten and all them, you've never heard about them being unsafe. Unlike another big man uh, who went by a few names, but I remember him first as Mabel. Ah, uh, or Big Daddy V. Big Daddy V. Viseria, King Mabel. Bits of man looked at him, looked at a man his size because. He was what about six, 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 seven? And uh, actually, you know, I believe I did look him up earlier. I, I nerves made me do a little research. The last billing I have on him is six nine and four hundred and eighty five pounds. Wow, but that's a build weight, so you could probably subtract about an inch or two off the height, which is still pretty impressive. You right. know. Um, and he was, you know, pushed pretty hard there for a little bit. Had him as the king of the ring. And, and that was kind of right after he had been on that men on a mission thing. Mm-hmm. The, the rap tag him, team. Him and Mo. That was him. Yeah. And, yeah, because they, they actually accidentally won the world tag team titles um, during a European tour. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever hear, did you ever read about that? I did not. Yeah, it was an accidental title change that happened over in like Germany um, or the UK, where the one of the Quebecers couldn't kick out. He couldn't get his shoulders off the mat. He was supposed to kick. <laughs> he couldn't do it because you know, and there was probably uh, Mabel. Was just why he was laid across from me. He could not get out from under him. So the referee, I mean, of course, had to count three, you know. So they had a rematch like two or three days later, and they they got the titles back. But yeah, so they were accidental tag team champions for a few days. But Mabel, um, when he went against Kevin Nash during I think it was SummerSlam in 1995, and this is after Mabel had won King of the Ring, and so he was King Mabel. One of his moves that he would do, and they had already told him he needed to basically stop doing it because it was very dangerous, but he did to Kevin Nash in this match, and Kevin Nash apparently is still having issues today because of it 26 years later. Nash was laying on his stomach on the mat, and Mabel, you know, stood over him, one foot on either side of him, and then just dropped straight down butt first on Kevin Nash's back. So his full weight came down on his spine. And so 
he got a lot of heat for that from Kevin Nash. Because of course, Kevin Nash is a person we could say is more or less a giant because he's like a legit six eleven, seven foot tall. Played basketball at University of Tennessee, but and then went in the army. But that's another story. Um, and so yeah, Kevin Nash. I mean, yeah, he had quite a bit to say about that. And then later on, uh, Mabel he he they drop a leg on the undertaker and ended up breaking his orbital socket like for real like broke it because they had him in a mask um leading into 96 because at the rumble it was undertaker against bret hart for the world title and undertaker came out and he was wearing this titanium mask but i mean but it was a real deal to protect his orbital bowl I do remember the mask. I, I didn't remember the reason for it. Yeah, it was it was a legitimate break because Mabel they decided he was unsafe in the ring, and one of the people if one thing to do it to Kevin Nash, I mean, which is already bad enough, to do it to the Undertaker, one of the locker room leaders, one who has some of the most stroke in the com- company. Yeah, that didn't go over very well, and that's when Mabel his first push died like right then and there uh, they fired him yeah yeah and then of course he came back later on as viseria big daddy v he was yeah you know all those all those things but um i don't know if you if you listen to the podcast where Dwayne was talking about he actually met mabel or nelson Frazier yeah Dwayne at the time uh was in hop was working in hopkinsville at a um, one of the gas stations there, and, you know, this was around, I want to say like 94, 95, somewhere, somewhere in there. I'd have to, I, well, I actually think it was maybe not. Anyway, the year really doesn't matter. I ought to actually ask Joelle in the year, but he said that here comes this big white Cadillac that pulled in and out comes Mabel. And he said, and he was dressed in this white suit. I mean, just look nice, you know, like a, like a tailor-made suit for a guy his size and it was white. And so it made him look even bigger. And he said, I've never imagine. Yeah. He said, I've never seen somebody that big in my life. And he said, he talked to him, you know, he said, you're able, he said, oh, you're, you know, you know, you're wrestling, you're a wrestling fan. You know? So yeah, I even told you, I said, man, that's one of the coolest stories that I've ever heard. You know, he actually got to meet somebody like, you know, one of the wrestlers uh because Dwayne I'm pretty sure you can tell he's also a huge wrestling fan but yeah so he got to meet him he said dude he said I felt just tiny compared to him and Dwayne is about my height he may be like an inch shorter than me maybe um but so I mean basically he's about my size not as fat as me but um but for him to say he felt tiny next to somebody that tells you how big that somebody was yeah, you know, there's a there was a local wrestler that actually uh, made me have that very small feeling. Uh, a man who was a shoot six eleven uh, locally. Was it because? Uh, yeah. Oh, you yeah, know, he's, he, he he's done wrestling. I don't know if you knew that. Right, he's hung it up. Yeah. Uh, in the interest of uh, preserving cognitive function, and yeah, I don't and, blame him. And God bless him for that. You got to take care of that. Um, but you know, standing right next to a guy who is legitimately 
that height and and you realize that the the midline of this gentleman's chest is at your eye level yeah <laughs> and that you're having to look pretty far back to see the top of the man it's it's an it's an intimidating feeling so to be next to this a guy the size of this or big bat daddy v or mabel or whatever you would like to call him uh, i i can't imagine uh somebody with that kind of presence uh and, and being near it well actually the biggest person i have ever seen in person was actually when i was deployed to afghanistan this is back in 2009 we had some retired nba players come and you know, just do a publicity tour. One of whom was Sean Bradley. And I don't know if you're familiar with Sean Bradley or not. I am not. Um, have you seen the first Space Jam movie? Yes. He's the big goofy white guy that was part of the NBA players who got like possessed by the aliens or the aliens took their talent. It was him. Gotcha. And he is a legit 7-7. Seven, seven. And during the time that he made that movie, because he played, uh, he was in the NBA, I, for the life of me, I cannot remember who he played for. I'll have to look it up. It didn't pan out as well in the NBA because, yeah, he was tall. He just, he didn't really have it. And he got injured a few times. And so he eventually hung it up. But when I saw him, he was, obviously he was still that tall, but he had also filled out. So he was no longer gangly, you know, sickly looking. I mean, basically because you know you see him like in that movie you see how skinny he looks he was just big you know like all over and i was like oh my god i have never seen anybody that big in my life i mean he just towered over everybody but but he wasn't a wrestler so he really doesn't count for the conversation now i will say though i've never got to meet the man in person uh i remember going to uh a WWE show, I think it was SmackDown. It was it was when I had gotten my license and a, a little bit of independence and felt comfortable to go to the, the arena and see a WWE show. What, US Bank Arena? The, yes. Yeah. Yes. And and I remember the first time I saw the big show walk out. And I was just absolutely struck by him <laughs> and the respect of you know, some of the guys are kind of what you expect from what you see on TV, and some of them you're like, gosh, it looks bigger on TV. And then the big show comes out, and I was like, good God almighty, I swear <laughs> before me there is a giant. Yeah. And and I I couldn't believe just how large he really was. And I saw him, actually, I saw him in Columbus against Braun Strowman the night they broke the ring. I was there that oh. night. Um, yeah, because before their match, and obviously it was the final match of the night, and before the match started, I saw all these WWE employees kind of going around to the ring, like they were checking some stuff. And I'm thinking... They're going to break the ring tonight. They, they'd have to be. They're going to break the ring. And 
Now, granted, the match was what you would expect between two big two big guys who could move, the way him, you know, Big Show and Braun Strowman. I mean, the the way they could go against each other. And this was this was during the time that show was starting to work out more. Uh, it was this was one of his last matches. I think he had one more match after this before he had surgery. I think he had like knee surgery or something. But then, but he had it scheduled. And do you remember there for a little bit that when the big when Big Show would come out, Paul White would come out, a lot of the arena was chanting, you know, please retire, you know, go away, Big Show, things like that. I mean, they were just being cruel. Yeah. And and he would say kind of, oh, you know, it doesn't really bother me. But I don't know if you've ever like really seen him in shoot interviews. He's a pretty sensitive guy. And he's actually, he grew up his entire life basically being picked on because of his size. And he's like, I haven't done anything to anybody. Why are that, you know, um, but after this match, you know, of course the ring is all, bleh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I felt like that collapse looked a lot better than the one that they did with him and Lesnar. Yeah. Oh, it did. And in fact, it, did, it also helped when the referee bit it too. Rico, referee, oh, he goes flat off the side. It props for the for the awesome ref bump on that one. Yeah, and the whole crowd, the whole arena was standing up. Of course, is when they went when Strowman got him up on the ropes, and he went to go give him the suplex. The arena, the whole arena was just standing up. My son had fallen asleep because you got to think this is a live raw taping. So it was around 11 o'clock at night when this particular thing happened. And, and he, he had finally just, he couldn't keep his eyes open anymore. So I had him up on my shoulder. Um, this was, see, he's 10 now. He was about five or six at the time. And so he was asleep. So I was trying to see around everybody's head, but I mean, I knew what was about to happen. And I was trying to get my wife to, I was like, record it, record it. But she couldn't get her, her phone up in time to record it. So we could have actually caught it because I, I knew it was going to happen. Boom, boom. The whole thing collapsed. Well, I, you, you can actually find footage of this. After all that, you know, and of course, um, the, a lot of the fans are still cheering. Well, they started going, thank you, big show, you know, clap, 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 clap. thank you, big show. And this was, you know, less than a year after they were saying, please retire, please, you know, and yeah. there's actually footage, you know, where the camera kind of zooms in on him and you can see he actually had tears in his eyes because he kind of made that full turnaround. It probably felt like a bit of redemption. Oh, absolutely. And then when he came back, remember how jacked he was? All of a sudden he had like a washboard stomach and, and it was like, whoa. Yeah. He huh. had lost a substantial amount of weight. Was looking the best he had looked since, oh, you know, right around when he debuted with the company when he jumped from WCW. You know, I want to say he probably the best he's ever looked. Period. Because even when he came over from WCW, uh, he was big, but I mean, he didn't have like the definition in his abs and things like that. I mean, because That's true. he was he was, was thinner, also still, not necessarily muscular, right? I mean, he was also still young, and then it wasn't even a year into his first run in, in WWE that they actually sent him to Louisville to OVW to lose weight and work on it because they realized that in WCW, they had not trained him like they should have. Well, and my understanding was with that OVW tenure, 
uh, it was a bit of a, an attitude adjustment to mm-hmm. a little of a, you're not so big that we can't do this. Right. You know, um, but Big Show, when he first started in WCW and he was the giant, I was in Japan at the time. And the only way I was able to even see him, because I actually didn't have the internet at the time, and this was before, you know, 95% of the world had internet. It was when they would do a pay-per-view and then the video would come out, a, you know, a few months later and it would make its way over. So I was seeing it like months after the fact. But except for one day, I was flipping through channels and I was flipping that, you know, I had Japanese channels as well. And there was some WCW guys. Now, I remember seeing him. He was just this mysterious big dude who was in the front row of all these pay-per-views. And so you could tell he was kind of a bad guy because this is pre-NWO. So Hogan was still a, a, a face. And so I was like, okay, that's a big dude. But wait a minute, he's in a match over here in Japan and he's tagging with Sting. Hmm. Okay. And then he got in the ring. And so the first time I ever saw him wrestle was actually, I just happened to be flipping through because I, I couldn't have told you what the, the wrestling schedule was in the Japanese channels. I just happened to catch it. And when he got in there wrestling, he was doing drop kicks. He was doing all these flying moves. And I'm like, this is that same dude, you know? So that was actually my first impression of, of Paul white was that. And, you know, so I was like, huh, that dude can go, but. And if I remember correctly, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. It was, I was going to credit, uh, undertaker with kind of getting him to reel that in, but I had actually gotten that mixed up with an interview with Kane earlier talking right. about his early days as Kane and helping him making it make adjustments to, to his style. style. Yeah. Uh, you know, that even though he's able to do these things, it doesn't mean he should. It was who it may have been Kane and, and Big Show. I saw them in a match together and because they were both the same size, it actually made it more impressive and it actually didn't hurt the character. I want to say Kane did a hurricane Rana, like a, like a top rope hurricane Rana on him. Now it wasn't as quick and as snappy as like a Ray Mysterio can do it. You know, it wasn't crisp, but I mean, he got him. I was like, he kind of went over and the crowd was just going nuts over it. But it gives gentlemen that size, the rare opportunity right. to sell something they wouldn't normally have to sell or have to do. Right. And I like that when you get those two large men that can move like that and you get moments like that because now you have this true battle of Goliaths and, and they're actually having to sell for each other and look human for once. And, it, and it's kind of neat. You can, only, you can only show that so often or otherwise they can't stay the monster. But, but I, I really like those matches when they come around. Right. And the only thing I worry about with a match with two guys like that size doing that is the ring big enough. That's the advantage of having that 20 by 20 ring that the WWE has versus, I believe it was 18 by 18. Yeah. WCW had, and you can certainly tell the significant room advantage with that extra two feet 
Um, so, and, and it looks like AEW's looks like it's 20 by 20. It looks very similar in size to a WWE ring. That's I, becoming, I liked what, that's becoming almost standard now before the, for the major companies. And and I like that. I, I like that it gives them more room, and and especially when they're doing things like rumbles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a little bit of room for somebody to do something other than just kind of swing and push. And one of the things I heard this on, I think it was Tony Schiavone's podcast uh, within the past few weeks, and they were talking about when they would do the recordings at the studios there in Atlanta. Uh, the, like the TBS studios. And that, he said, that particular ring was even smaller than 18 by 18. He said that one may have been like 16 by 16 or 15 by 15 because it was in the studio. Oh. And he said, yeah. So he said he really didn't care for the matches that they would have there because the ring was smaller. So they couldn't do, you know, as much. They had to, they had to adjust to that ring basically for just, one match once a week and then go back to their normal size rings of or for them you know it was the 18 by 18 because this was part of the mid-atlantic area right but it makes you wonder because didn't you say that the nwf their main ring it was one they bought from georgia championship wrestling now i don't know how they came by it but uh i do know that at least at one time uh one of their one of the individuals that that did a lot of their inner workings told me that it was an old Georgia Championship wrestling ring, uh, which at that time he said was 25 years old, and I was 17. So that's 20 years ago. Oh, so I would hope by now they got a new ring. Um, I know they've done some refurbishment of it. I've seen where they've done welding and some and there was a period where it it got a little unstable uh, or at least in appearance they assured me it was safe but uh and they made improvements to it now from the pictures i saw from their recent fairfield show that did not look like their usual ring that i that i am used to seeing so but i it's been a while since i've seen the ring from their training center uh, so I'm not sure if it's uh, the ring from the training center, because I've seen them bring that out to certain shows before. Uh, I guess I'd, I'd have to see it in person to know. So they may have may have gotten a different one. Well, I'm just sitting there thinking off the top of my head, you know, some of the big men we haven't even mentioned yet that were in like main event matches or should have been or close to main event. And I always go back to like the first WrestleMania. Uh, because it's you know it's the first one, and one of the main one of the main matches it wasn't the main event but one of the main matches was Andre the Giant against Big John Stud, and I think Big John Stud he was definitely he was more the giant than the big man but that was part of their feud was Big John Stud who was about six eight six nine, and. You know, he said he couldn't be body slammed. Of course, I mean, you, every time they say they they've never been body slammed, you know they've been they've already been body slammed. It just, you know, but that's been being a heel was they won't acknowledge it. But right, um, Andre slammed him and he won the fifteen thousand dollars. Well, Andre took the, the money and started throwing it out to the crowd. <laughs> 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 and Bobby Heenan ran up, grabbed the grabbed the pouch of money, and took off running. 
you know, um, but apparently Andre really legitimately did not like Big John Stud. But it was because, you know, Andre would always, when he came in the ring, he would always step over the top rope. Well, John Stud started stepping over the top rope. And Andre said, no, that's my thing, you know. And so once Andre didn't like you, well, he didn't like you for life. But, but at least Andre could, could actually, Andre could do some moves. And apparently his younger days, he was doing like a lot of like the drop kicks and he was actually doing legitimate wrestling moves. Whereas like the great Kali, it's overhead chop, overhead chop, headbutt, headbutt. And I don't even know what his finishing move was. I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. Uh, Frankly, I can just remember most of his matches of him being just slowly walking around and people feeding yeah. to him. Uh, because, and, and they kind of had to do it that way because he was limited. I don't fault the man for that. No, it's, not at all. You know, that's just the way his body is built. It it moves awkwardly and that prevents him from being a very fast gentleman. Uh, you know, he, if I were in his position, I'd let them shoot me to the moon with a push as well. Uh, you know, everybody's got bills to pay. But say, but, yeah, uh, I mean, he's got a family to feed. He's married with kids and, you right, know. And here he is working largely in, on another continent from where he's from. So yeah. And I'll never fault the man for making money. No, nah, I, I just, I, if somebody is making money legitimately, I'm not going to fault them for any, any way they do it. Um, right mostly i mean every once in a while run across something go really that's what you're doing all right (laughs) you know but but for him i mean you like you said i mean he he was getting paid for coming out there and being tall and you know people paid to come see him why not right you know yeah and they paid him they got a lot of mileage out of the guy avery It's Randy. Oh. Let's come say hi. 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 I can't hear him. Oh, sorry. I forgot I had my headphones. She's like, I can't hear him. Anyway. <laughs> um, but who do you think was better slash worse? Um, the Great Kali or Giant Gonzalez? I don't have a large sample size for Giant Gonzalez. Uh, what I can recall of him is at least the guy could walk with a semi-normal gait, and that gives him an advantage over Kali for me. True. And I'm trying to think. I think I think Giant Gonzalez was, was actually taller than Great Kali, which is you know, saying something because Kali was – pretty tall him and Kali and big show actually got into a um a shoot fight in the dressing room because of their size and big show was like no i'm the big man around here and Kali, you know basically was defending himself but but giant gonzalez his story i mean mean, his story is actually kind of sad he uh you know he's from argentina he was brought to the states by ted turner to play basketball for the Atlanta Hawks. And well, height doesn't necessarily mean you have talent. And 
and he didn't. And so they said, well, a guy that size, let's make him a wrestler. Because, of course, Ted Turner owned WCW, made him a wrestler. And, well, that didn't pan out so well there. Um, they had, they couldn't teach him how to do a promo because Jim Ross actually tells a story about, okay, now George, his real name is George Gonzalez. And there he was known as Elegante. But he said, okay, George, now you got to tell us about, you know, you're going to be going against Ric Flair, blah, blah, blah. So did from me. And he held the microphone in his face and, and John or Elegante said, Ric Flair, I kill you. He's like, I said, no, we got to do it again. He said, no, you can't say that. You got to tell what you're going to think. Ric Flair, I kill you. So I found out they just kind of gave up and like, you know, but he, but he couldn't do a lot of the moves. And, um, I don't know if he was necessarily determined to be unsafe or not, but, uh, but eventually, of course, he went to WWE and they put him in the, the furry bodysuit, and that was just <laughs> abysmal, absolutely abysmal. It's hard to, I mean, even if the guy was really awesome, it's just hard to to get behind that. And you know what's really. Uh, why to think about he only made three appearances on pay-per-views one of which it wasn't even a scheduled match because he showed up at the royal rumble and went into the in 93 and got the undertaker and beat him up threw him out and then they they had the match at wrestlemania and then they had the other match at either king of the ring or SummerSlam. And that was it. That's all he did. And uh, just working wasn't working out so well. But he ended up, of course, moving back to Argentina. And uh, he died of diabetes, like diabetes complications, really young. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And I just heard this recently. Jim Ross was talking about it. Do you remember the manager, uh, Harvey Whippleman, or also known as Downtown do. Bruno? Yeah. Um, he was his manager, you know, in wwe or wwf or there you know connecticut new york whatever you want to call it he was you know he was his manager when he worked for vince and you know of course that was on stream but apparently behind the scenes he was also helping him manage his stuff um, because i mean he was a young guy you know he was a really young guy well when he went back to argentina harvey whippleman or real name uh, bruno laurer laurer the same last name as joni laurer china even though they weren't related he was sending um, Giant Gonzalez money until the day he died to help him support his family. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was actually helping him out, you know. So, I mean, he, they, that was all kept, you know, um, you know, they, they kept it not necessarily quiet, trying like it was a scandal. But, I mean, he just, he didn't want a lot of recognition. He's like, I'm helping somebody out. I'm, you know, I don't need to be recognized for that. I'm just, I'm going to help That's the guy nice. out. More of the whole don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. It's a guy right. doing good for the sake of doing good, not for the recognition. Exactly. Which makes me think um, pretty highly of downtown Bruno or Harvey Whippleman or whatever, you know, it makes me think pretty highly of him. And, you know, look at that with a lot of respect. But, but then, you, you know, when you have like the big men like that, and I'm trying to think of the ones who really rest, who really like headline the WrestleMania matches because uh, we've already mentioned, uh, of course, well, Andre and his big headlining match was 
against Hogan, who can you can see is another kind of a big man. Hogan, they built him at six foot eight, three hundred pounds. Um, more, he's somewhere between a like the super heavyweight and the giant for what we're talking about. But Hogan, of course, one of the biggest names ever. Certainly. And yeah, certainly he almost has his own category, just of being Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and I mean, it, even to this day, is a household name. Even the children, my kids, know who he is, and he's not wrestled a match in ages. Yeah, and he can't. And Hogan becoming so controversial, you know, with wrestling fans before, you know, his his next controversy is because when you find out that all of his talk, you know. Uh, in the ring about say your prayers, take your vitamins. And then you find out that he is one of the biggest politicians in the game. And when he's, we, you kind of figured out that he used his influence to push his buddies, you know, in some cases, not a bad thing. Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart, you know, was great manager, great, you know, musician who wrote a lot of their songs, a lot of, a lot of positive influence. But then he also put, you know, was pushing Brutus Beefcake at Leslie. Zodiac, uh, what else? The man with no name, the man that dude. How many names does that man have? A lot, you know. And you know, then some of the other ones, Honky Tonk Man was another friend of his. I still don't agree with Honky Tonk Man's record never been broken. It needs to be broken. If I have to go grab the title myself and hold it for however many days to break that record, anyway. Oh, you but, don't think he's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time? Not a chance. Um, and uh, but you find out that that beefcake was what they were calling Hogan's weed carrier. He was carrying Hogan's weed for him, so Hogan wouldn't get busted with it. And that this was all before that video came out. You know, I don't even want to talk. It's a family friendly program, so I don't want to talk about what that video was to begin with. For sure. We'll just say the video didn't help. Right. And then the things he was saying on the video, which got him removed from the WWE Hall of Fame, removed, they were doing their, uh, they'd done a revival of Tough Enough at the time, and all of a sudden he was pulled off of it, and The Miz was put in his place. And Well, that was also about the time that that, the recording of his uh, conversation with his son, who was incarcerated at the time came out where he oh same thing what yeah said some some things that you hmm. it's just hard to recover from and yeah then they brought him back and i don't know how to feel about that because i know apparently he did apologize he went to the locker room and apologized but to me, I think he should have apologized and then stepped away. But he can't stay out of the spotlight. Right. You know, um, but when he was in the NWO, you got to think with this, he was the small one of the original trio. <laughs> you know, I that, mean, uh, Nash. That's like, true. And, and nobody really talks about how large a fellow that, uh, that Scott Hall really is. He is a big and dude. It, you know, he was a, a a very tall fella and and had a 
a very flattering amount of muscle on his frame. Mm-hmm. And if, he was not a small fellow. Uh, see if you can find some matches when Scott Hall and Danny Spivey, when they were known as the American Starship, this is my first time I remember watching Scott Hall um, and he when he was with Danny Spivey. They were the American Starship. That was the na- their tag team name. Scott Hall was Coyote. Danny Spivey was Eagle, Starship Eagle. And they were terrible name. Uh well for 1984, <laughs> you know, it yeah, was fine. You know, um, but they would come out to the ring and then they would rip their shirts off, their t-shirts off. And this is before I had not even seen Hulk Hogan uh, wrestle like live yet. You know, but just seeing them tear their t-shirts off, they'd come to the ring. Their their entrance music was Let's Go Crazy, you know, by Prince. And they were doing all these kind of power moves because Dane Spivey is one that a lot of people forget about. Dane Spivey is another, he's just a big, tall behemoth of a dude. And apparently he is like legitimately tough, like not somebody you'd want to trifle with. Um, and played football, I believe, at the University of Florida. You know, so that says something right there uh, that, you know, he's pretty legit. So obviously an athletic fella. Yeah, and, a legit athlete. Yep, and and then of course later on, both of them were again in WCW at the same time, but of course with different teams because this was when Scott Hall, oddly enough, was actually paired with Kevin Nash. Sort of, he was part of the Diamond Exchange. Um, and this is one Joel and I were talking about not too long ago. With Diamond Dallas Page was the manager. He wasn't even a wrestler yet. He was a manager and he had Scott Hall, who was Diamond Stud. Um, he had the Diamond Doll, who was uh, Kimberly, you know, his at the time wife. And Kevin Nash was Vinny Vegas. And I, I want to say he had somebody else in there as well. But, but so they were part of a faction then. Uh, and then both of them, of course, left, went to WWF separately. But Danny Spivey was also still there. He was part of another tag team, the Skyscrapers, with one of the incarnations was with Mean Mark Callis, real name Mark Calloway, who you know now now know as The Undertaker. Heck yes. And the other one was Sid Vicious. So another also said justice at one time in Psycho Sid. Terrible name. Yeah. But Psycho Sid, which seems oddly fitting for him, he'd he'd make you believe that Mm -hmm. he was a bit nuts. Yeah. Uh, You know, I thought that one fit pretty well, but Sid Vicious, that was cool too. Yeah, Sid Vicious. I'm surprised they really didn't get sued, but because you know the Sex Pistols bassist. well, I mean, of course, he, I mean, he's dead, but, you know, somebody from the, that camp, you know, having trademark over that name, and all of a sudden, here's this guy calling himself Sid Vicious. It's like, mm, you know, but it's apparently it never happened. Um, but Sid Vicious or Sid Justice or Psycho Sid or whatever you want to call him, or Lord Humongous, if you really want to go back, he was one of the original Lord Humonguses. Um, You know, he was only I once in... saw Lord Humongous. Really? Yes, I did. 
was came it to an NWF show? It was a surprise, a surprise uh, wrestler that was unannounced. I, I believe uh, Wildcat Chris Harris was making kind of like one of his sporadic appearances. That was when he was still hot and heavy with uh, TNA Impact Wrestling. Okay. And uh, but he was making one of his little return matches that he would do at the NWF and. Uh, I got the feeling it was probably somebody that was a traveling companion because uh, this guy was just a mountain of a man and, and worthy of this Lord humongous thing. And he just wore this black veil so you couldn't see who he was. It was practically oh. this black bag that he could see through <laughs> and just did this squash match with somebody. And yeah, so I got to see one incarnation of Lord Humongous. That's, I'd have to look. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a list somewhere of all the different guys who have been Lord Humongous. But when Sid Vicious, when or Sid Udy, you know his real name, when he played him way back in you know the like the mid '80s, he wore like a Jason Voorhees type hockey mask, and he wore that while wrestling. So you know you really couldn't see his face, but. Um, the weird, interesting trivia about him, you know, he's only been a part, he's only participated in two WrestleManias, both of which he was in the, the main event. I did not know that. Yep. He was in WrestleMania 8, where he went against Hogan, and not a great main event, I'll be honest with you, uh, because that one should have been Flair and Savage, but Hogan must pose. Um, and that was actually the first time I'd ever seen anybody kick out of the Hulk Hogan leg drop and it wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, what was supposed to happen was Hogan, when he was pinning him, the pin was supposed to be broken up by Papa Shango, who unfortunately did not make it down to the ring in time. And so Sid knew that Hogan was not supposed to pin him. So that's why he kicked out. It was supposed to be a disqualification. And so he kicked out of the leg drop and the referee was kind of like, where's Papa Shango? He's supposed to be down here interfere. And then Harvey Whippleman actually jumped up on the ring apron. That's when they said, oh, he's disqualified now. They disqualified for him being on the ring apron, which seems kind of weird. Um, yeah, because that never happens, right? Yeah, I mean, if they get in the ring and attack him, yeah, but just being, so that was a, but they they had to disqualify because that's what the finish was a disqualification. Then Papa Shango runs down, gets in the ring, and is attacking Hogan. And that's when Ultimate Warrior made his return, one of his returns. And you know, so there was that one. And then at WrestleMania 13, I believe it was Sid against the Undertaker for the world title. Um Sid was the champion going in and Undertaker was a champion coming out. Cause that was, you know, at the beginning beginnings, uh, more or less, it was like the third or fourth match into the streak. Yeah. And, you know, of course being WrestleMania 13, not the appropriate to, uh, mm-hmm. to have Undertaker come out of that, the champion with his gimmick. Yeah. Cause I even had to think about it. I was like, well, which number was it? I was like, all right, he, Undertaker wasn't in number 10. He was actually recuperating from like, like a lot of injuries. Um, okay, then I was like, okay, 11, he was against Bundy because he actually picked up and slammed Bundy. Uh, 12, he went against Kevin Nash. 
Yeah, think about it. I mean, this is like the Undertaker going to get some big dudes. I mean, um, for all the WrestleManias. And I was like, okay, so it had been 13. Because another thing about that one, Sid had a little bit of an accident in the ring. Yeah. And so the Undertaker, when he picked him up to do his tombstone, think about where Undertaker's face and nose are. Yeah, yeah that had been very, Ooh. yeah, he's, that was very unpleasant for him. So, uh, and there's other stories you can actually find. They have stories about wrestlers doing accidentally, having accidents in the ring. But just to keep it family friendly, I'll just stop it right there. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, what did Sid about? have uh, an incident with some scissors? That was him and Arn Anderson in England on a tour. Sid was running his mouth in the bar um, down in the hotel where they were at, and. He said something to Arn about you couldn't draw a dime, you know, or something. They were talking about, you know, Sid, they were talking about the, the guys like Arn Anderson, oh, they don't draw money. And Sid was like thinking he was like the greatest thing since before sliced bread. And Arn, of course, took exception and they were jack, jaw jacking there. And then at some point later on, Sid shows up at Arn's hotel room want to continue the discussion if you want to call it a discussion and they got to fighting well arn grabbed whatever and happened to be scissors and you know he got sid a couple times well sid got arn more times and um sid was the one who was kicked out of the company and also created more problems for him because sid was actually in line to get the the wcw world title at the time yeah, Arn's talked about it a little bit. He won't talk about it too much because he's basically he's sick of talking about it. But yeah, which can't blame him. Understandably um, so. Understandably so. It's yeah. a long time ago. You know, and I'm trying to just think of some more of the giant wrestlers who I know we've forgotten. There's uh, one that we didn't bring up that I, I felt like was going to make a big mark and ended up dying before he could and that was umaga oh yeah that man just did spectacular things never had to speak a lick of english mm -hmm. even though he did speak english right. obviously but like that was a man that was going to do some amazing things if only were he were able to get a hold of his demons a little better i think yep and I, wasn't rikishi his brother i cannot recall if that was his brother or uncle or cousin i, I know that they're from the same family but i cannot remember what the relation is and well, Yokozuna was Rikishi's cousin. Yokozuna, his last name is Anawai, whereas Rikishi, his last name is Fatu, which I believe that's that was also uh, Umaga's. Yeah, he was. Yeah, because he was like Eddie, right? Fatu, and um, of course, you know the the Usos. You know, they're yeah. It's pretty sad when the Usos. 
they're like the smallest of the Samoan family of the of the Anawai family, and they're not exactly small guys. But no. But then again, if you look at Rikishi when he was first starting wrestling, in fact, he was. Um, they always have them as like the Samoan SWAT team or the Headhunters or some kind of goofy name like that. And not that they were small guys, but they were small compared to what he ended up becoming. Right. Like before he had such an enormous posterior. Right. He was a relatively normal sized dude, or at least normal for what you would expect out of a Samoan. Right. And man, it could move. All the entire family is just as big as what they are because the original Samoans, you know, often Sika, it's not like they were small by any stretch, but, no. um, you know, but if you go back to like some of the names I'll throw out there for you, like Haystacks Calhoun, do you ever see a picture of him? Uh, you know, actually, uh, in the picture with the twins. Oh, okay. They had, uh, there was one where they had Haystacks Calhoun, I believe standing in front of them. Right. Uh, and, and was a sizable man, mm-hmm. uh, who ended up being kind of dwarfed by the twins, but but it was hard not to be struck by his size as well. Right. And, you know, but here's the, the big question. When we get to talking about the big guys, the quality of matches, do you think it suffers because of their size or do you think that it may enhance the match because of their size? How do you think it, it really affects their matches? I think that 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 is kind of an individual answer on that one. I mean, you have some of your your more explosive large guys like Braun Strowman, where that size, the way he's able to use his size, allows him to work with people of just about any size and put on something entertaining, or or put on a squash and be believable. Uh, But then again, you. You have somebody not to pick on someone, but you know, like the great Kali, who was very limited in his movement and, and size, did not help you believe him at all. Very true. Uh, and I know there's some other ones that didn't make as big of a splash as what I think they should have, like a Ron Reese um, or a Kurgan or um, Ron Reese. He was the guy he played the Yeti, the Yeti, or whatever. Oh, or then he went by his real name, Reese, when he was part of Raven's Flock. Um, do like a legitimate 7-2, something like somewhere around there. Yeah. And it became known, but just not as big as what, I mean, and that may have been like his personal choice too, because you would have thought a guy that size well, would get pushed pretty hard. Well, think of, uh, I mean, kind of a lesser known name, but uh, Matt Morgan. Right. Was, uh, was a very large guy and was, frankly, a more popular American gladiator than it was a wrestler, despite having True. a lot of ability. Or a guy like, who was it, Nathan Jones? He was the guy he was supposed to team with The Undertaker at WrestleMania, I think it was 19. And But his, they decided that he just, he just wasn't working out as, it wasn't working out as well as what they thought it was going to. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess big doesn't necessarily mean talent you can push them because you could say hey come look at this great big dude in the ring but the problem is now there's so many of them i don't think it's really as much of an attraction anymore 
No, and I think it's requiring more of those large men these days. I mean, if, if you're wanting to get attention for your size, they're also looking for somebody that can do some pretty extraordinary things with that size. Like local guy, um, Rex. Absolutely. Explosive on his speed. Does things in ways that look very, uh, very crisp and powerful, but but you can also tell that he's doing things in a safe way, which uh, gives credit to both him and, and the training and where right. he got that from. Uh, Roger puts out really high quality folks. And Rex, I did not really realize how tall he was until the last time I went down to Covington. And it was actually after the show was over and you know he was walking around him and Adam and they were, um, they were getting ready to help, like they were clean, helping clean up, take the chairs down, things like that. But he was like talking to his family and he was looking for something to autograph for him. Um, but he walked by me and I was like, man, that is one big dude. You know, um, but before we actually go ahead and let go, because, yeah, we've actually been doing a pretty good show already. This has been a pretty good conversation. Um, yeah, I want to thank you again for this. And I don't think we've actually named all the, we really, I mean, I think an hour and a half conversation may not do this subject justice. So we may have to do a continuation of this at some point. But my friend, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Only that, uh, well, one, I appreciate the opportunity to 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 share with you folks and, and hopefully do so in an enjoyable manner and uh, and in a way that respects this this whole sport or entertainment or sports entertainment thing that that we love and show that the proper respect it deserves uh that certainly uh it's certainly worthy of that and and certainly gives us an opportunity to escape uh what's going on in our everyday world and i think we all need that oh that yeah i, I couldn't put it better myself but that was awesome you know, so I should see you Sunday, hopefully. Uh, I wasn't able to make it last Sunday, of course. So like I said, I was taking care of my wife uh, during her closer to that. And um, I wasn't going to be there that long anyway, because my son and I went down and watched the Reds this past Sunday. You know, so, yeah, so I went out and got sunburned. That was fun. <laughs> but um, but hopefully I should be there this coming Sunday, because, you know me, I don't like missing church. And I know you don't like missing church, so... We should both Absolutely. be there. So, um, but until then, my friend, I will see you. All right. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you.